This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I am a Beastmaster. I can't be the Beastmaster. And I'm the Machine. No, you're not the, not, not as of yet. Interestingly enough, I should just tell you, both sequels are just called Beastmaster 2 and Beastmaster 3. No the. They oh. took the the off. Interestingly, Kyle, why are there sequels? But I guess we'll and talk about that. And a TV show. <laughs> it's a TV show. This is a podcast for dying or much <laughs> earlier than the last couple of years. <laughs> The writing was on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Pauline Kale stopped reviewing movies. It's like, it's over. I, I, give up. I can't <laughs> I can't do this anymore. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, you heard it, we're going to be talking about the, the beast, beast master. master we need yeah you gotta do both for that reverb yeah master master, master. it was foretold by witches it was conceived through sorcery and it was to be destroyed by all that is evil but the courage of one mortal saved it and so into an age of darkness in a time of mysticism sacrifice and plunder there came the only light the beast master big thank you to our patrons over on patreon of course their contributions help us continue the show since the on the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Dave, we just talked about Pink Narcissist here last month. We did. Uh, you love that movie. You were yeah. a big fan of Pink Narcissist. You know, the avant garde <laughs> porno movie that we watched. It was good. I, I needed a refresher on male anatomy, and I got it. I got it nice and close and wet and in full, full girth. Yeah. I want to be very clear Dave, anti penis on this show. <laughs> Kyle, Pro-penis, just if anyone is confused I, I about- I find myself more penis neutral, frankly, and I'm a little offended that you- I am uh, the Switzerland of there. penises, yeah. <laughs> uh, this month, we're going to be talking about the big boss. So if you want to hear some early Jackie- No, oof, some early Racist. Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah wow. nice. <laughs> some early Bruce Lee. Maybe we're going to be talking about Jackie Chan later on this month. Who they, can tell? They no were one contemporaries knows. in a manner of speaking, but uh, speaking, still yeah. racist. Regardless, Dave, I think we should probably take some time and advance our plot, our deep and rich fiction that we build right, right. on this show every single week. Have you been getting these notes sent to you? These individualized notes? Yes. Uh, were there yeah. post-its in 1982? Because that's how I'm getting mine. Did they invent? Was adhesive invented in the early 80s? Well, <laughs> do, do, do you know how post-it notes are invented? No, actually I don't. The person was trying to come up with a better type of tape and they accidentally made this. So it's like, oh, it, 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 uh, it's adhesive, but I can take it off and put it somewhere else. It was a, a complete accident. And like, oh, we should sell this to the I general love, public. It's like, we, make me something stronger and glueier. Now I fucked yeah. it up. Oh, this would be great. This would be great yeah. on post-it notes. Yeah. It's one of those great uh, stories like, you totally fucked up and failed, but we can make <laughs> we money can off of this. It. 
you don't get any money. You'll still get paid your wage, but our company is going to make bank off it's of this. So. Always picturing a man with a monocle making that mm-hmm. decision. Let's bring monocles back. Dave, we are so far off course. It's not even <laughs> funny. But uh, so these post-it notes have are my name very nice in calligraphy Ooh, on it. And I, think it's, I think it's DDS, DDS, the uh, kind of the specter. The dentist that we confronted who was embezzling funds is now sending us these cryptic notes. Well, what does yours say, Dave? Mine says, get out. Yeah, mine says soon, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So, yeah. Wait, does DDS, has she spoken to us yet? We were great friends. We used to have uh, lunch breaks all the time. Right, you right. you remember this? Uh, yes, I remember it vividly. Uh-huh. Yeah. I did, I did some good yes anding there with you. Um, <laughs> Improv. I can't believe you two are the only thing standing in my way of blowing up the world. Other than this deep and rich fiction, I do want to give some notes about some upcoming episodes. Uh, you've already heard of our bonus episodes over on Patreon, but today there is going to be a bonus episode that goes up into the main feed. Ooh. Dave and I had a chance to talk with this uh, filmmaker, journalist, author, Omar Mualam, because he just made this short documentary called The Last Baron. Uh, Dave, uh, you can do the quick plug on this about what The Last Baron is about. So, if you're not from Alberta, you will have no idea no that idea. there was this empire, sort of, fiefdom called the Burger Baron. If you mm-hmm. grew up in rural Alberta, you'll be upset that I phrased it that way, uh, framed it that way. It turns out- You don't out, want the hot Baron sauce just dribbling <laughs> down your chin? Speaking of pink narcissists. Um, So, it turns out that in Alberta and and sort of a little bit in the prairies, there's this uh, chain called a chain. That's unfair. But this group of restaurants called the Burger Mm. Baron and they have a surprising history because they're largely owned by Lebanese immigrants. And Omar is a direct descendant from one of these (laughs) kings. Yeah, one of these barons. So, he made a great, great documentary, Kyle about what that's all about. And I actually enjoyed watching it. It's a great documentary. In Canada, at least, it's very easy to watch because you can go to CBC Gem. You only have to wait through a few commercials. (laughs) It's easily like 30 minutes of commercials. It's it's worth it. It's It's worth it. It is probably 10 minutes for a 45 minute long documentary, but yeah. It's worth it. It's worth it. don't know how easy it is to watch in other countries. I I just don't know what the answer to that is. I think we just don't care, Kyle regardless yeah we don't care regardless it is it's a fascinating talk even if you have not watched it because we do talk about the film but like 80s film we touch on at the beginning and we also have i think a beautiful conversation about food and culture to wrap things up so Mm -hmm. i I think it's definitely worth your time to check that out it is going to be up again like i said in this main feed it's kind of a bonus episode later on this afternoon so uh, hopefully you enjoy that i remember that conversation vividly as well kyle just like my conversation with DDS. Mm-hmm. I like how your brain works where you had a very detailed hour-long conversation like, did I do this? I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe I did. I, I, it's all cachet. No long-term mm-hmm. memory storage here. So, it's on call and then I got to dump I it. I like that in 10 years, you'll then start to have vivid memories of that conversation. Actually, that is sort of how that works too. I get horny just thinking about upgrading my RAM. Before we get into talking about the Beastmaster, I think there's one thing I just want to know what your history is with. 
That is not English at all that okay. I just I'm used. I'm on four hours sleep, so let's do this Great. thing. That yeah. was like me yesterday. I, so my body's like, it's 4 a.m. and you should be up like wide-eyed. I'm yeah. like, I guess I'm up now and I'm doing things. I'm, I'm going to term this a B-movie television. So meaning your Xena Warrior Princess, your Hercules... There has to you be You text me this thing. I think you're stretching a lot, but I didn't watch most of it. Xena a little bit. Hercules, I mm -hmm. thought was a joke. Xena's less jokey because, uh, oh my God, I forgot the actress's name. Lucy, Lucy Lawless. Lawless. Like really owned that and uh, she's pretty cool. No, yeah, this is, this is going to be my argument that I know you're going to get so frustrated by. I'm already frustrated just having to record this yeah. with you. Yeah. There is a specific tone that those... TV shows had, I okay. think, okay. and that they did not have the biggest budgets. They knew they couldn't do it. And Xena is, is, was concocted and helped uh, to be produced by Sam Raimi, who is like the master of like- I did like, not know that. Yeah. yeah. Low budget awesomeness. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I only have like $5,000. How am I going to stretch this into being Five anything? million probably, but okay. Keep going. Yeah. $5,000. Give me a break. <laughs> well, the first Evil Dead was like nothing. There's no budget on that movie whatsoever. But, you know, good friends with Bruce Campbell who made like a whole career out of like, I am in schlocky B-movies that it. again have no, mm -hmm. just hamming it up. And I think the people who kind of understand that are able to make that type of material work. Mm. We had, and some people would claim too long of a conversation last week about me really trying to figure out why Conan wasn't a bigger deal and, I, and trying to wrangle like... I feel like uh, you tone. had a long conversation because you just couldn't get it, Kyle. I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over it. <laughs> but uh, I'm bringing this up again just to say I think Arnold kind of always, whether you like the movie or not, understood what the tone was. Like, he understood like what this movie is that he's in, whether it's, again, Jingle on the Way or Terminator or Total Recall. He was able to switch it up and be like, okay, I need to ham this up a little bit more mm -hmm. or I need to be a little bit more serious or I can be jokey on this one because that's what this movie is. And I think the best actors are able to do that. They can flip it and be like, okay, this is what you need. <laughs> and so Lucy Lawless is a great example of that. I was not a big Xena watcher. I have maybe seen one or two episodes in my entire oh, life small for you because you seem yeah. to watch everything yeah i don't know if i was a big tv guy i was a movie guy mm -hmm. more than more than and more than anything else you know what another one is stargate the stargate tv show that movie's feels good like, i want to rewatch. i don't know if it holds up you, but yeah you say so um i didn't even like the movie to be brutally honest wow. with you so and i think this is also why people like knight rider and the original macgyver and i grew and up on knight rider like, and macgyver like 80s yes. television shows which don't really hold up when you watch them back now in your have opinion. a similar have a similar style of like this is not great television but we are not, uh, potentially know. like the person who's at the center of it who's like hamming it up who isn't like a, even maybe even a great actor either but is able to make the I don't know, the situations work. We, we want to follow them yeah, I, more than like what the actual plots are that's happening. You're there. mushing too many things together. Like as much as Magnum P.I. or Knight Rider MacGyver were silly in their premise, they took themselves quite seriously. Whereas Xena didn't. Correct. Okay. I, 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 I'll, I'll support that. So, I think we got to split them a little bit. In retrospect, it looks way dumber than it was in the moment. You know, you have a sure. talking car and this guy with a great perm and he's going out and beating guys up. But at the time, it's like, it's fun TV. It's, you know, uh, yeah, we could argue it was TV in the 70s, but I have no idea. Well, I wasn't alive. But Xena's uh, different. You were, but okay. Uh, Xena's different. I feel like that was in the 90s when Sam Raimi in particular was a guy that wanted to parody like he lives this line between 
parody and reality. So everything he does, he's so when he's successful, it's kind of both at the same time. Like you can watch Evil Dead and you can realize it's making fun of zombie vampire movies, but at the same time, it's like a really good zombie right. type movie. So he, he, he he's got a love for it, but it's like I, that, that's why his Spider-Man films, I think, get made fun of a little bit today from like the younger generation because Sam Raimi was all about like, yeah, I like Spider-Man, but he, he's a guy who's bit by a spider. It's goofy. Like, of yeah. course, I'm going to make this a goofy movie. First two, I think, hold up really well. Yeah. We watched it recently for mm-hmm. what it is, for what it is. I think I'm trying to set this up because I felt that Conan, the first movie at least, I don't think really fell into that. No, it took itself very seriously. It, it took itself very seriously. Yes. It was very gory and bloody and you sex a lot inside of it to a degree that the, um, a, the TV shows couldn't just because of standards and practices. But again, the tone is completely different between those two, even though ostensibly they're both sword and sandals properties that wow. they're trying sandals. to. Sandals, that's trying a to new do. one. Or no, sorry, swords and sorcery. I no, always say fine. sandals they for some reason. They do wear a lot of sandals, so I think you're, st- <laughs> you're still on point. I mean, we'll argue about this, but I feel like my problem with this, looking forward at our conversation, is I think this movie takes itself just as seriously as well. And I think that's why it's so stupid. But we'll, we'll mm. talk about it in more depth. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just, I, I've never seen the TV show that was based off of this either. I didn't even know aired from 99 till 2002. What? So, I mean, it yeah. had a three-season run? Three-season run. It survived 9-11, Dave. I'm just saying. Okay, you gotta do a dead pause on, on the final cut, and everybody's just going, "What the fucker? What Beastmaster?" Yeah, it uh, it uh, it was a Canadian production, so it, aired, it was it actually was. made in Canada. So, of course it was. I'm so glad your parents' tax money went to something worthwhile. Do you have any history with this movie whatsoever? No. Like, is this the first time you've ever heard of this? I don't, maybe because it was a TV show. I mean, I I've heard of. The idea of Beastmaster, and mm. I feel like, and this might just be me placing my now scarred memory onto it, but that there's this He-Man guy that can talk to animals. Right. But that's very tropey, especially in like anime and cartoon culture. So, right. I don't know if it's this movie. I mean, He-Man technically t- talked to a, a green lion. So that's true. Um, the idea of a hero. And wearing no clothes that can talk to animals may not have anything to do with this film. Yeah, I've never watched it and I don't know much about it. The only kind of passing reference I have for this in the early YouTube days, if we go back to the Halcyon days of like Ooh. 2006, 2007, there was a creator who I was a big fan of called the Angry Video Game Nerd. <laughs> and he started his channel by literally playing this character uh, the angry nerd who would play old Nintendo and Sega games mm. from like the early 90s or late 80s and getting very mad at the bad games that came out during that time. He would just like lose his shit at them. E.T. was definitely and, on there. All right. Oh, yeah. See, I had an, an entire episode on the E.T. game itself. So he would play them. We would show them on the screen. And for the time, like, again, going back now, maybe not so much, but at the time, really good production values and special effects. He was like playing around a lot with uh, visual tricks and that kind of stuff. He would eventually kind of morph the channel into talking about old films and stuff like that, that he was a big fan of. He was a big horror fan. And so he would do these series on like, let's talk about every Frankenstein movie that has ever been made. And let's talk about all the Wolfman films. He's had a huge knowledge. He was actually the one who introduced me to the Godzilla films. And I was like, wait a second, you're telling me there was 35 Godzilla films? I was like, my mind is blown. <laughs> I thought there was like one. But one of the series he did is like, let's talk about Beastmaster. This like little talked about thing. 
little curiosity from the 80s. That is the only reference I have because he would show clips. I'm like, that looks so fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe this was a movie that was made and actually released into theaters. With not a small budget either. No, no, but not, it's not Conan level of budget either. Shocking what a Wikipedia Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, uh, like uh, just over a half of a Yes Giorgio budget. <laughs> well, I couldn't get Pavarotti to play uh, the evil. He yeah. would have been a great he, character. He in this may movie. have actually pulled that off. He was actually the tiger. Uh, so and that's, that's I think he focused a lot more on the sequels because I, he had a fondness for the first one uh, for from for nostalgia reasons. And he's like, let me tell you how off the rails things get in like the second and third ones because it stops making any type of sense of like what is happening. Never made sense to begin with. Yeah. I've never seen this movie. I've never watched it. I didn't watch the TV show. I, so I'm excited I, is I guess a word I'm going to use to jump into this just to fill out my knowledge base. But uh, yeah. That's what we're going to do. So, Dave, you and I are going to go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return back after that, we're going to be talking about the Beastmaster. If you could control one animal, Mm -hmm. what would it be? I was going to ask you the same question. I haven't thought about this a lot. You know, it'd be fun. Maybe a sloth. I don't know how much, you know. To slowly undo the door for you. Yeah. I just would like to just hang around and that be my life purpose. I feel like I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. I'm getting there. Of uh, being a sloth is what you're saying? Pretty sloth-like. I think I yeah. would. I would think about this too. I mean, there's like the fun answer of like, ooh, I want to like control a horde of red pandas or something like that. Red but pandas like that's are so pretty cute. Yeah. They are very cute and I really want to pet red panda, but apparently they're awful to try and domesticate regardless. Uh, you can't domesticate most an- he's such a farm you guy can't. you just you just assume you can control all animals at will of course you're gonna like we this must. movie aren't you yeah uh we made the gray wolf into a chihuahua dave <laughs> i'm pretty sure well, we can get not the right immediately something. yeah not immediately took a lot Two of tinkering. generations it took a lot of tinkering can you imagine what it would be like to build those like that variety of dogs like how much <laughs> gross dog sex would you have to be yeah, witnessing well, Gross dog sex, but then there was somebody at some point who looked at their job and was like, we nailed it, boys. We got it. <laughs> Look the at chihuahua. this tiny piece of shit. People will buy this. Uh, if it looks the wrong way, it will break its own neck. It's, in- it's incomprehensible that it all comes from one animal. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Thanks. I think my real answer, just because there's so many of them, are bats. Gross. And I could be literally the Batman. I could just be like, go, my friends. Really gross. Bats are really gross. Yeah. They are also the number one animal that transfers uh, bad diseases and viruses to us. It's because they're so gross. I, I, with, because of Batman, I thought bats would be cool until I saw one that was preserved and they're just <laughs> gross. Maybe he should have saw a cat instead of a bat that night. I'm sure there's a cat man somewhere. Just failed. Yeah. There is a scat man. So... <laughs> All right. Well, Con Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Who loves it when we riff here at the beginning of our ad read segment? We are locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. You know, this week, Dave, I get to tell you about the Alberta Blue Cross. This episode, of course, is brought to us by them. And the Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough. And they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. You know, the Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, 
and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. To learn more and explore your options, you can head on over to ab.bluecross.ca. Kyle, if you ever sign up with Blue Cross, I will allow you to hire me. (laughs) Great. We need to make this into a business. Post haste. So uh, our second sponsor, Kyle, what what better podcast to talk about Edmonton than Two Idiots in Calgary? Correct. But, uh, our sponsors, Edmonton Community Foundation, they're talking about the well-endowed podcast. Ooh. Oh, man. It's just led up to that, this episode, hasn't it? <laughs> you know? Talking a lot about that. It's hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. Oh, so it's the well-endowed podcast because of endowment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, endowed. What like what is endowed? We'll talk about it later. The, the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Uh, Kyle, bracket, throw to a recent episode, close bracket. Call to action. Subscribe. <laughs> Subscribe <God>. at the <laughs> well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you just look off a previous episode. I'm just reading. I'm reading copy, man. Uh huh. Subscribe. One second. One second. Uh, subscribe at the well endowed podcast dot com. Endowment in this case is that like a trust fund? What is endowment? Yeah. Oh. oh. So well, I, you, you get money. So, D- Dave, how about episode 125? That's yes. the most recent one that I can see on, on the feed here. It says, on this episode, we scratch the surface of Edmonton's history with racism, a huge topic that impacts many communities, each in unique ways. So their correspondent, Emily Rendell Watson, explores this topic with Dr. Bikola Salami, Dr. Ravon Chu, and Nyenka Odogobolo. That's, no, I didn't do that that's right. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. To talk about that in depth. So I would definitely go there to scratching the surface to learn more about that podcast. All right, Dave, we have sat down and watched this movie. The Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. Our lives are complete. <laughs> so let's say, you know, it's, it's getting warm out there. It is Canada Day as this episode goes live. And let's say that we are out, we're shirtless as we sometimes gross. are, yeah. laying nope. by the river, just enjoying and soaking up the rays. Also gross, yeah. And this gentleman runs over to us and he's frantic. <laughs> he has... He has hey, you two naked guys. I just, I found this tape on the side of the river. Whites and Asians together, not on my watch. <laughs> and we'll direct him to the well-endowed podcast. <laughs> he has this VHS copy of the Beastmaster in his hand. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I need you to tell me what this movie is about. It's gross. What would you tell him? What is what is the Beastmaster about? Um, first, I'd tell him to leave us alone. But uh, if we're pressed, I would say that, oh, Kyle, what is this movie about? I don't think it's that hard to describe, no, to be honest. No, it's just stupid. You know? Yeah. It's just stupid. Yeah. So, I'm trying to sum it up. It's a fantastical world where a boy learns that he is, in fact, no, that he has... The power to communicate Mm -hmm. with beasts. Correct. He is the bastard son of a ruler, a deposed king. And he has to use his power and his right to fight the evil powers of Rip Torn. I do wish that Rip Torn and James Earl Jones could have teamed up 
as like a bad guy duo because i think they both do great work in their respective movies <laughs> might be the only thing great that works work, in this eh? movie is rip torn but uh, all right if you say so <laughs> would you add anything to that i don't know uh, no Big no it's black fine. face I mean, a tiger black face a tiger apparently i learned you know do you know why they did that i don't know racism no so the the animal is supposed to be a panther and they actually even refer to it as a panther once in the movie although it's very clearly a tiger that has been painted black yeah it's supposed to be a panther because that's from the books that this is based on even that he has a pet panther but panthers are unreliable uh, so animal handlers do not like using them especially if they are in scenes with kids because they'll often just attack the small kids so it's like we're not going to bring panthers onto this film set you have to make this be a tiger or a lion and yes. they decided to go with tiger yes i'd be like small kids tiger yeah we, yeah. we definitely need to bring a tiger for a scene with a small kid the 80s were simply Apparently they're easier to train. I don't know. Apparently tigers are easier to train. This is according to the article that I read. Um, There's also an urban legend that said that that tiger died because of being painted black, but that oh, is okay. untrue. Some Wizard of Oz That's stuff. untrue. Yeah. They changed the character. Wasn't it originally mm -hmm. written as a Aboriginal person or as a, a Navajo. Cree or Navajo? Navajo. Yeah. Uh, so you can change a fucking panther to just be a tiger. Nobody will give a shit. I don't know, I don't know why they... Yeah, who cares? Who cares? Just call it a tiger. But Super whatever. weird. They just wanted to blackface him. They probably just wanted to try it, and then they couldn't yeah. wash the dye out, and they're like, "All right, fuck it. Oh, We're just gonna run with it." So I, I'm getting a sense of what your thoughts are <laughs> on this movie, but uh, tell me in more detail what your thoughts are on the Beast Messer. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a terrible movie. The only credit I can give it is in the first hour, I actually laughed out loud probably so you're saying that it might have worked for you you elicited an emotion <laughs> i laughed out loud it. probably three times and, and i brought this up at the beginning a little bit kyle i would respect that more if i thought the point was to be silly but i suspect it was taking itself seriously. Yeah, I, I will do agree that the tone is so weird, weird in this movie. Man. There isn't an earnestness to it. And I'll go into more depth. I just think that they have actors that aren't able to pull that off. But Yes. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah. And even Rip Torn, because he is a cartoon character, it just doesn't it just didn't work. Like James Earl Jones, I mean it's hard. You put the uh, the machine put this after Conan, I think, for a reason. But one of the things that I think that's interesting about comparing the two is that I honestly believe they were trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And one yeah. worked. Uh, in spite of my lower score because I just couldn't get with it anymore. And this one's a train wreck. Uh, you know, in the first... I agree. Yeah, like in the opening, nothing makes sense. There's like, I, when the, what's the production company called? Leisure. Like I thought it was, I thought it was a porno. Uh, yeah. Leisure. Leisure Investment Company, I think is what it's called. <laughs> like, oh, like, oh boy. And oh, then we see no. like a lot of bare ass and I'm like, okay, I can see which way this is going. Like he's going to master the beast. And mm. then it gets really weird. Like there's a, is he a farmer? Like his surrogate dad, who is also a ninja and a sword master. Like wh where did that come from? Uh, witches that turn into, like why did they birth him in a cow? Like the whole thing was yeah, a mess. I mean, this is d definitely, I'm sure makes more sense in the book or something. Sure. Like probably go into detail. I will push back okay. slightly in one aspect. I also don't think the first 15 minutes of Conan make any sense either. That's fair. <laughs> like, there's no, like, nothing in, in that movie makes sense. And then it slowly kind of pieces itself together. Well, I think that the difference for nitpicking, and we sort of had a debate about this 
reflecting at the end of that film, that film to me is like a horror action film. So when I look back at how that's set up, it kind of just sets the tone of how weird that movie's gonna be. Mm -hmm. This one was trying to do the same thing, but it can't get over its low budgetness and poor sort of uh, casting. Like the, like you said, you know, the people can't carry this film. No. And a lot of the concepts maybe expect you to have already bought into the popularity of this book, but I didn't, I, I don't know if I read this right, but isn't it a book written essentially for children? Like the whole thing yeah, is- Yeah, I was going to bring this up. Yeah. I didn't know this until after the fact, but that makes way more sense about some things that happen. It's like, oh, this is supposed to be a kid's film that they're trying to kind of elevate into maybe a movie for adults Everybody's and it's naked, not yeah. really working. Once again- Kids ruin everything. Honestly, I'll tell you my journey to watching this movie. Because <laughs> I thought we were going to have a much bigger fight. I ended up not liking this movie as a whole. But that, that first 12 to 15 minutes or so, the one that doesn't really make sense, which I won't necessarily argue against, but I was actually kind of into digging it, it a little bit. Yeah. I was kind of into it. It was like, okay, the mood is being set here kind of nicely. I actually did like some of the special effects and makeup yeah. and like camera tricks that they were doing. And then there's like this... <laughs> almost like a record scratch that happens as soon as like he's like a boy and he opens his mouth it's like ooh, that's not great acting that's going on there and then a bear appears out of nowhere that was my first lol i'm like when what is happening here and it's like that's so cartoony because it's like literally a, car a, a cartoon scene where it's like the bushes are rustling and some guy gets tossed out of them and he gets sucked in first like there's a demon portal yeah then he gets I'm like, spat out I'm like, they have this like, bear come what is going on? and then the most bizarre thing is now we have adult Dar, that's what his name is. His name is Dar. If adult Dar you know, really gets ransacked, people get killed off, his surrogate father is killed, you know, that's very Conan-like, and it's like, I know what I need to do. Smash cut. It's like half naked, wedding cloth. I'm like, whoa, like, the, where did we go? How did we get there? At least in Conan, it's like, he's the gladiator fights and there's like, there's an evolution. Yeah, he learns we kind to of understand. fight. Like he grows strong by being the last person who survives pushing that wheelbarrow or whatever. It's just like huh. so out of nowhere. And then unfortunately, I just don't think, uh, what's his name? Oh, it gets a lot worse. Yeah. Mark Singer. Mark Singer is just not a very good actor. He's like uh, a... At all? Like he is like a super buff Luke yeah, Skywalker who his, can't it, yeah. put it together. <laughs> his, his, what's interesting, I looked, this, I looked this up afterwards, like I hope he did a lot of voiceover work because I actually think his timber, like his actual voice is actually very good. He could not act inside of this movie oh whatsoever to make me care about this character. Like wouldn't Arnold have worked better? Would a different actor have worked better? Maybe. You still have to contend with, I think, a nonsensical progression through this. I will say this though, by the end of it, most things are not working, but I was never, I, I, was, I was always carried through it for some reason. There was always something that was pulling me through the narrative because I never found it to be unwatchably bad. Mm. I found it mostly just tedious. And I think it's just a difference between like, this is boring, not very oh. interesting. Up to the last third, like, right? I cannot stand this. Um, oh, and I will say the other, there's one other creature thing that I think is really well designed and done, which is oh, like the vampire the bats bat, or whatever. Vampire thing what the that, fuck like, was that? Yeah. Grabs a hold of you, like encircle you and then like dissolve your flesh or something like that and then open it up. But why are they the only fantastical creature in it? That I don't know. Probably <laughs> budget reasons, but I thought super effective. I thought that effect was actually done really well. Here is the thing that I think is the most egregious in this movie. The bad guy, spoiler alert, the bad guy is vanquished. 
there is 20 more yeah. minutes of movie after that. I'm like, why are we doing this? We've done it. We've, we've wrapped the movie up. Just so we can end this. Like at least in Conan, uh, is it Thulsa or Falsa Doom? Like James Earl Thulsa Jones Doom, yeah. and his outfit are the villains and they are yeah. responsible for Conan's father's death. And they play that actually kind of Star Wars-ish thing where Vader is his, you yeah. know, this one is... It just doesn't make any sense. I will, you know, when he went into that smoky pit and ended up at the altar of the raven with those vampire bats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I kind of like that Sam Raimi feeling. I had this, I had this thought, like, if this is where this is going to go, I'm going to get into this super weird, gross out horror action thing. I'm okay with that. Maybe this is going to be better than mm. than that because I've already laughed several times. I'm not sure yet at that point because I think that's less than an hour in whether this movie's taking itself seriously or not because maybe it's a parody. And then I had this subtle thought first, Conan hasn't come out yet. So what is it making fun of? Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, I think this came out three months after, but like this, production some people will call yeah. this a Conan ripoff, but it, it was in production simultaneously with Conan. Like, so it wasn't like, oh, Conan came out, it was popular, let, let's like jump on a trend or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like the VHS B movie version of it. Um, I, I keep coming back to it. Like, I do think if a person like a Bruce Campbell was in this main role, it would probably elevate it a bit. Unfortunately, it's 82. So like Bruce Campbell isn't even a thing. Like the first evil they did come out the year before and no one had seen it yet because it got delayed. So that's wishful thinking on my part. Like I think someone that would maybe could have leaned into the goofiness maybe a little bit better instead of trying to trying to play it too earnestly just doesn't work for me. Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's put Harrison Ford in this. I think the more egregious thing, and I, and I know this is a 2022 lens I'm looking at this in, we would call it maybe problematic nowadays on how we basically stalks that woman and like forces himself oh on God. her multiple times. Like, I know how I'm going to reward you, Blah, like tongue in the mouth. I'm like, okay, like let's settle down. If we were complaining a little bit about Conan and the 80s penchant for sort of uh, bringing things back to male dominance, this thing could be interpreted yeah. as a... Uh, I mean, soft R rape movie. I mean, this I guy mean, is yeah, at, at so the very gross, least, man. At the very least in Conan, I mean, again, written by a man, like, so there's not a lot of baggage here. But at least the women are shown to want to have sex with Conan. In the first meeting, they, she does not. At least they're, they're also, I mean, however we ended up reading whether they actually have any power or not, they're at least depic depicted with some strength. Right. <laughs> you know, and they have some character. This woman is just there to, like, at some point I thought she was pantless, for her breast to be out and for her to lean on top of this muscular man. It's incredible how stupid... Mm -hmm. This woman is in this movie. Like she's supposed to be a warrior priestess. Like none of it made any sense. This is no even like a bottom barrel male fantasy. This is not even worth talking about. It's weird. It, well, it's also then fighting against this kids' book origins, right? Because you have like the introduction to all these three beasts that he basically walks around. We have the two ferrets, the hawk, and the tiger that's supposed to be a panther. Tiger. Like the first introduction to those two fair to like steal his loincloth or whatever it is that they steal and run away from him. And then he falls into quicksand and why aren't you helping me? Like, it's like, I don't, what is this movie? Like, I was just like, what, what is happening? Again, I think with a different tone set up from the beginning or a better actor, like there's something, there's something that's just not working in this movie. So it's like, I'm not really having fun. This just seems stupid and dumb and just annoying to me more than anything else, rather than me 
uh, feeling like this is say like a, the animated Disney version of Aladdin who's finding different like the the magic carpet and the genie and the tiger and like everyone else who's like forming this like group that's going to mm-hmm. go and fight the evil person at the end. This is just like this is too dopey and weird <laughs> for me to really lock into. Says the guy who made a sentient robot and then made it be an unheard co-host on a podcast. Yeah, it's it's hard and you you know like when we talked about Omega Man, I don't have a good I don't have a good connection with the idea of camp and Right. Reading whether something is intentionally stupid or just was stupid and we're kind of up loving the stupidity of it. I, I, I don't know. Like you said, like he jumps out all of a sudden, he's wearing a loincloth. That weird boomerang death knife that his dad gives him, he never uses it. I don't know why it has so much importance. When he pulls out his sword, it's clearly made of cardboard. He's whipping that thing around. Yeah. And, and then he runs through the river. Like, yeah, it's just, it's nothing. So- I don't know. The whole thing was just such a mess. And I, I don't there's, know. There, there's like so many people who had to go through, think about that, shoot that, yeah. edit that. And yeah. like, yeah, we're going to keep this in the movie. Yeah, this is this is something that needs to be in this movie. I mean, kind of like when we talk about Red Sun, this director didn't know what they're doing. I didn't look up anything. I was just disappointed. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> so, he actually is very well known okay. for something else. But. but, you know, the scale, the way, you know, they use the lens to set up some of these wide shots. They're shit. It looks like a TV film. But... The sets are actually quite complex, so they put mm-hmm. money. There's a lot of people intentionally. Like, why is this farm community staying in houses that are like 30 feet in the air with these poles? It doesn't make it. There's no water there. It doesn't make any sense. But they actually built those fucking things. Like they have yeah. uh, stakes where people were impaled, although they didn't line up, so they were you know looked really awkward and, and you know no. in the shot. But that doesn't mean like there's that gruesomeness there. Like yeah. I think that's some of the parts that I liked of like the weird demon vampires. It had a ch- it had an opportunity. Yeah, it had an opportunity. Yeah, and like the and this like oh they're going there we're seeing people impaled and and, yeah. and and gore and death and stuff like that it's just like there's nothing that helps me through the actual narrative it's like all production design this movie that's like yeah this is there's some good stuff in here yeah the concept of the evil magic ring that he can spy mm-hmm. i mean those little nuances you can see if they came from a book they probably have a little bit of a deeper story and uh, they can be used more effectively because we can describe how that connection works and you know how they see it in the film it's just done so it's just pure cheese man yeah I, I what i'd like to it. do someday is to revisit the black cauldron that disney mm-hmm. made the animated black cauldron i have a feeling i've never read the book this is based on it's probably a similar feel to that. I've read the books, the Pradane books by Laurie Alexander, which were the basis for the Black Cauldron. And those are the style, like there is some very dark, uh, dark, dramatic things that happen in those books, but are still made for kids. Like they're still written in, for a kid's point of view. I have a feeling that's about what the original Beastmaster was written like. And then as an adaptation, it's like, okay, we'll keep some of that, but also... We need adults to come and watch this, so we need to have like naked women. This is a PG movie, and there's topless women in it, which is nearly bottomless. To me. Everything like I, I saw John Amos's butt, I saw that yeah. woman's butt. I'm pretty sure that like she basic instinct at one point when she why did she turn? Mm. Why did she go and change into a tunic? Like oh, and the, yeah, that scene where he's like he mo- he should have just done like an awooga noise because she like walks out and he's like ooh like look what you're wearing it's like when did you change into that I'm like what why is this in this movie like what is happening there's no functional difference it's just the shirt is like just covering her underwear and then the little boy is like she's a now she's a warrior and this is a warrior's garb like, there's nothing worry okay. about this garb it's, it's I don't know. It was a mess. It's 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 so it's it's weird. It's like I did not like this movie, but there was elements of it that I respected. It's like okay, there looks like there was some effort 
put into it here. There's some effort put mm. into it here. To be fair to the director, okay, he was overruled with who he wanted to cast in this movie. Why? Who so did he want? He wanted Klaus Kinski. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> as, that. as the adult, and he wanted Demi Moore as the as the woman. Now, would that have worked better? No, was... it would definitely have been a different movie. Yeah. but I don't. I don't know. I mean, we don't know in the end how much rewriting goes after casting, but. Yeah, you know, infamously or most famously, The Matrix apparently did a full rewrite when they got uh, Keanu in it. I feel like there's nothing in this. I mean, I wouldn't say Demi Moore is exactly what I would call a great actress, but she has more presence, unfortunately, yeah. than this woman. And Klaus Kinski's face is just cinematic Klaus by itself. Kinski's so. an insane person. What well, yeah, is he, he supposed is. to be, the Beastmaster? Yeah, yeah. You know. If he didn't look 80 when he was 30, he could well, have pulled that the, off. But the wild thing is, is that uh, is that Mark Singer does kind he of look pretty like old. a young Klaus Kinski. Yeah. <laughs> like like a shrunken version of Klaus Kinski. And that was the other thing. And, and this is too judgmental because we just see this in bygone generations. Like my idea of what a young person looks like is not uh, in yeah. correlation with, with what young people look like in the 70s and 80s. You know, Mark Singer looks like he's in his 40s when he's supposed to likely be 18 or 19 when this right, yeah, story starts off. Yeah. It was just hard not to be nitpicky. It, it didn't give me enough breathing room uh, from a narrative, from a cinematographical idea, from a director's point of view, for me to just believe in the story. And like you said, there are some of the tricks and some of the gimmicks, some of the uh, anchor points that likely come from the book, you know, make you want to give it one more shot. And then it just kind of gives you another slap in the face for yeah. asking you why you're still watching it. Like, why are you still here? Oh, oh, you didn't think that was stupid enough? All right. How about this scene? You're still here? All right. Let's make it dumber. I can't believe you're still here. Let's <laughs> let's add one more dumb what's, thing. What's fascinating is like, I understand how this was made into a TV show eventually because everything seems so episodic. It's like, oh yeah. yeah, I can see how this could have been an entire 40 minutes of, an, of a, of a yes. TV show. And then this is another 40 minutes of a TV show. He's like going through and sort of thing. So... Yeah, obviously this was made into a Xena-like show eventually. Uh, let's, do some back let's do a background. What? Let's do a background? <laughs> Where's my mind I think, today? I, I, no, I've not been sleeping it's well. It's this movie, so. Kyle. This movie has made us dumber. All right? That's the problem. <laughs> let's do some backstory. That's what I'm trying to think of. Let's do some backstory. So this movie opened up on August 20th, 1982. Uh, it is rated 3 out of five on Letterboxd. It has a 6.2 out of 10. Yeah, it's which is very high. low. No, it's not. Dave, very you have to understand. When, do you know what the cinema score is? No. So to judge how audiences are liking a movie, on opening weekend, they'll say, would you rate this movie an A, B, C, D, or, or F? Okay. Right? So like a elementary report card. The vast, vast, vast majority of films that get released, like we're talking big budget movies, will get an A. Or an A plus rating, yes. like most Marvel films do. Marvel is in trouble if it gets a B plus cinema Just score. It's like, ooh, I just aren't liking this as much. All their movies right now, yeah. There are like five movies that have gotten an F mm. cinema score, which are really fascinating to 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 go and delve in. I can't remember one of them off the top of my head, but um, people don't know how to rate things. Is what I'm trying to say. Three <laughs> is like drastically low on Letterboxd. Six point two out of ten on IMDb, which also again is drastically high. low for IMDb. Pretty high. Every movie gets a seven out of ten on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he has a 6.2 tells you a lot. It has an 18 
on Metacritic. That's, That's out of better. 100. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes from 14 critics, it has a 50%. And then from 25,000 plus users, it has a 54%. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. So I know what I'm getting Dave for his birthday next year. (laughs) I don't have a machine. Remember? (laughs) I call Mario. Yeah. Uh, I'll get you a machine too. It'll be fine. (laughs) I can play discs. Uh, It is streaming on iTunes if you want to buy or rent it. Its budget was $9 million. To put this into perspective, Conan was 20. So it's just less Fine. than half of what Conan had for a budget. $9 is still a lot of $1982. Sure is, yeah. yeah. This, this is not like a super low budget film. It's box office. It would go on to make $14.1 million at the box office. And I forgot to do what that translates into in today's dollars, but that's roughly like $100 million bucks. I'm going to say like 99 That's got to be all leveraged by the popularity of Conan. There's I think so too. Yeah. There has to be, right? Yeah. Still considered kind of a disappointment as far as how much money it got. Its plot description is a sword and sorcery fantasy about a young man's search for revenge. revenge. Armed with supernatural powers, the handsome hero and his animal allies wage war against marauding forces. Uh, okay. I don't know if I would say marauding forces, yeah. but that's beside the point. I mean, there's two... Two fathers that die with two villains, but only the surrogate is killed by the marauders. So why was Rick torn in this movie? Yeah. Now is the time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess Guess that tag. This is, of course, the part of the show where we take a look at the tagline and play a little game. I donned a nice blazer. I have the long microphone that Bob Barker used to use. And if you know when you go and see a film, maybe you've just gone and seen Elvis, let's say, this week. I would in the not movie have. Theater. Yeah. The, oh, I did. Um, <laughs> so the Baz Luhrmann epic called Elvis. I'm not a big fan of Elvis to begin with. So. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. Racist. Yeah. Uh, so on the, Which one? Which side? Which side? <laughs> interestingly enough, the movie does delve into that far more than I thought it was going to. But on the poster you'll have a bit of a, of a sentence, a tagline to entice you to come mm. and see the movie over the just the visuals. I'm ready. So Dave, one of these is the actual tagline to this movie. Two of them are completely made up by me. So is it, he can tame the animals, but can he tame the kingdom? Is it, imagine talking to a tiger, chatting with a cheetah, what a neat achievement it would be. <laughs> or is it, born with the courage of an eagle, the strength of a black tiger, and the power of a god. That's one. It is not, actually. Is it, it is two? number three. Three? But there's, there's... Born with the courage of an eagle, the strength of a black tiger, and the power of a god. They self-referenced black facing the tiger, even though they yeah. called it a panther? Even though they called it a panther in the movie. It's wild. Wow. Uh, number two might sound like it is, but that is actually a lyric from Talking to the Animals from Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, two, two sounded dumb. I thought it was one. Also, oh, why? What, what happened? It stars Mark Singer as Dar, Tanya Roberts as Kiri, Rip Torn as Mayax, I think is how they say his name, or it looks like Max, if you read it out. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Mayax, and then John Amos as Seth. Anything you want to say about any of those actors? No, I boycotted looking this up, and I likely will just put one or two sentences in the write-up, because Kyle, this movie should not exist. Mark Singer and Tanya Roberts really don't do much of anything after this, although Mark Singer eventually found success just being a recurring guest star in a bunch of tv shows so he's as the beastmaster no but he's like been like in six episodes of arrow recently and like arrow. other stuff so he's oh, okay the 
the Green That's Arrow sad. show. Uh, and then uh, Tanya Roberts, I know, played Sheena in like another like sword and sorceries movie a few years after this. Uh, Rip Torn is Rip Torn. He's appeared in a bunch of different things. Uh, is he is known the- for being a good actor or just Men in Black? Can you name another Rip Torn movie? No, I can't, I can't. But I'm sure. I'm I'm sure there's something I'm just forgetting. But yeah, he has presence. I think mean, he has screen yeah, presence. He has a great voice. Presence. I'm just, I, I was watching this movie. And I kept thinking, why? Other than Men in Black, why would I think Rip Torn should be better than this? Because this feels like the limit of what he does. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then John Amos. I think this is the third John Amos movie we're watching. Well, he was in Sweet Bag. And he was in another movie we watched. Uh, was he oh. Shaft? Was he in Shaft as well? Was he? No, he was in Wild Rovers. He's, he's been in, an, I know, at least another Something. movie that we yeah. have talked about. I would have thought maybe, like, for example, if he lived, uh, not lived, but if he started acting later, he might have had a bigger Vanishing career. Point. Vanishing Point. Vanishing Point is the other one that we've watched. Oh, right, right. As the DJ's buddy or whatever. That's right. Um, yeah, he he has a lot of presence. Good looking, big dude. But he just didn't make it. Well, he was on um, Good Times. Good Times is like the big thing that he was on. Yeah. I just mean for film. Rip Torn, of course, was in The Insider that we've already seen. He was in The Insider? I don't remember. He was. He was in Dodgeball. He's one of the... um, good. Is he one of like the producers? He can dodge a wrench. He can dodge a ball. Wonder Boys, Robocop 3. Wow. Oh. (laughs) B-movie. Yikes. So, <laughs> those are the top ones that show up on his list. The Good. top ones. Dave, allow me to blow your mind. I'm ready. Cinematography. I, I actually do think, I know you're going to disagree. I do think that the look of this film for the budget it has is pretty decent. Uh, okay. Okay. This is by John Alcott. Does that name no. ring a bell for you? No. Well, he did the camera and electrical. Uh, sorry. Yes. He did the camera and electrical on 2001, A Space Odyssey. He did... Uh, this uh, 1987 movie called No Way Out, which is one of Kevin Costner's first films. But he was the DP. He was the director of photography, the cinematographer for both A Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. Clockwork Orange, I can kind of see. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. But Barry Lyndon is, is known for it. like... The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, but Barry uh, Lyndon is, is known as like some of the best cinematography ever made. Because all natural lighting that they use in, in that natural movie. Light, that was natural. the big thing. He's... Yeah, because the Kubrick films were taking off Criterion before I can get to Barry Lyndon. That blew my mind that the person who worked on Barry Lyndon and A Clockwork Orange ended up here doing The Beastmaster. Yeah, you know, the, I don't know, Kyle. The problem is not the chemical cinematography technical point. It's the director. It's the camera work. It's just mm-hmm. a mess. So you can only, yeah, tell, yeah, the camera can only move or be placed where the director wants it to yeah. be. Yeah. The image, the actual quality is, is good, I think, for a lot of those scenes. But Good enough. Uh, you can regardless. see things. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is written by Don Coscarelli and Paul Pepperman, based on the novel The Beastmaster by Andre Norton, and directed by Don Coscarelli. So, written and directed. Um, we've kind of talked about this, but like the book The Beastmaster by Andre Norton is published in 1959. And I also got the impression when I read up on this that it was made for children, like it was geared towards a, a child audience. But it was also pretty well reviewed in its time. Like it was actually well regarded as, as a great novel for kids. He would write one more sequel himself. Norton would write one more sequel, which was published in 19. 19- 1962, and then in 30 years later, in the early 2000s, three additional books were published. They're credited to both him and another writer, Lynn McConchie, but she claims at least that she basically wrote all three of those by herself with like the barest outlines from him. 
like having a couple of like phone conversations. Okay, yeah. He was for the first two. He died before the third one was published. Okay. Just as a small note, that series specifically was like a very well reviewed by Kirkus reviews. And Kirkus, if you don't know, is like a big deal in publishing circles. Like it's like they're the preeminent like purveyors of like what is good and what is not sort of thing. Named it one of the best series wow, of the year. Alliteration. I we needed a third P word, man. Yeah, that was a yeah. big miss there. Sorry. But uh take that for what you will. But that's the book series, <laughs> okay. right? That's the book series and how it's regarded. Don Coscarelli came to prominence in the early 1970s when he became one of the youngest people to ever sell a screenplay. He was 19 years old when he sold his first screenplay. This movie I've never heard okay, of. Okay. It's like the young darling or something. Anyways, movie I've never heard of. Uh, but then he starts getting to directing. And in 1979, he writes and directs the movie called Phantasm, which is a very huge like cult classic horror film like it is very well regarded in the horror community its plot description is this just so you kind of understand the vibe a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the tall man who employs a lethal arsenal of unearthly weapons like i said very well regarded at least the first one is because as it is a popular horror movie it spawns a bunch of sequels four of them to be very specific wow the unique thing about that series though is that every one of them is written and directed by coscarelli which is not what happens most of the time usually it's offloaded to someone else and they just run it into the ground so the he last did it one made, <laughs> yeah the last one uh made in the early 2000s like wow. it, it was a long-running series Paul Pepperman is more of a film producer. This is the only writing credit he ever has, which although because he writes the screenplay in the TV series and in the two sequels, he has to be credited. He is the Beastmaster. No, he has to be credited as characters by, so you always get a writing ah, credit ah. and get a bunch of revenue. This is why when you write a script, you hope that there is like a sequel or a TV show because you just get paid royalties because mm. you created the characters. Yeah. We can call that Mariah carrying it. Sure. Or... What we're trying to do, and hopefully someone picks it up and just runs it right into the ground. There's <laughs> 10 sequels. I don't care how good they are. You're giving me money all the time. Why do I care? I need money. As you mentioned, though, they adapt this source material, but they change a bunch of things from the book. First is, yes, he's no longer Navajo. He's just a white guy, which has its own set of problems, I think, in it. But the big thing, too, is his name. He's called Dar in this movie, Dave. Oh, that's not from the book? No. Do you know what his name is in the book? No. Hostine Storm. That's better than Dar. Like what? Yeah. How did that become least, Dar? Even if you just called him Hostine or yeah. something, I'd be like, okay, fine. Hostine or Storm. I think you just called him Storm. Storm is okay. But yeah. it's like Dar. Where does Dar come from? Anyways, I'm so hung up on that name. Literally, he says it in the movie. He's like, my name is Dar. I'm like, really? <laughs> that's, Dar. That's your name? Once the movie starts production, he, uh, Coscarelli clashes with the producers because they make all these decisions that he doesn't want, but it is released considered a minor flop. It definitely made its budget back, but probably didn't recoup its marketing budget. But where it really found success is basic cable television who picked this up and just ran it like like every weekend. So like every teenager oh, I saw this yeah. 13 times while they were growing up on TBS or something like that in like the 80s or 90s. I've never heard of this before. Uh, it was also fairly well um, rented and stuff like that on home video. So it's one of those things that got popular later, which is why eventually a sequel was made. Is this like the Billy Jack of the 80s? Like if we go to the States, do you think that's where this found? I have never heard. Kyle, you're right. talking about my childhood. 
If this is on cable television. Maybe he just didn't play in Canada. That could be also a thing. Sometimes things that played in the US just don't play up here. It took a while though, because like the sequel, which I will say, God, I keep forgetting his name. Mark Singer is in the two sequels. He's not in the TV show, but he is in the two sequels. The first sequel is like 92 or 93. So it's like a decade almost. And then the last one is in the late 90s or something like that. So it's like, it takes a long time. Oh, so he must have been... He Must actually looks like Klaus Kinski at the very end. But, uh, you know, gets that those two sequels, the TV show. The TV show also has a Blu-ray box set. So I can also get that for you, Dave, if you would enjoy that instead. I just need the special features, right? Yeah. I, need, I need the commentary tracks. The biggest thing, and, I, and this is maybe why I'm struggling so much with this movie, is that I do think Coscarelli, and I've never seen Phantasm, so I'd like to actually check that out to see if it's just maybe a this movie thing. I think he would understand the concept of maybe finding the correct actor and, and saying the right tone because he became very well known later on and actually won a lot of like horror awards and Edgar Allan Poe awards and stuff like that for Bubba Hotep. I don't know if you've ever watched that movie. No. Do you know what it's about? I, I don't. Kyle, come on. Horror no, movies. Bubba Hotep is great. He's so good. <laughs> Bubba Hotep stars Bruce Campbell and Ozzie Davis. Okay. Oh, is this the one where he's like an Elvis zombie? Yes. I've watched that movie. Okay. He's not, he's not an Elvis zombie. He literally is Elvis. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Is the, that is the concept. He's literally an Elvis, but the impersonator is who actually died and became so popular and he could never That's convince right. them that he was actually the real Elvis. Yeah. And Ozzie Davis is playing John F. Kennedy. <laughs> if you don't know, Ozzie Davis is a black man, but he's convinced that he is actually John F. Kennedy. <laughs> it's not helping Elvis's cause. So, yeah. so they're both in the retirement home, and then he yeah, has zombies attack. Yeah. But like very well reviewed. Like people love that movie. I remember enjoying it a lot. Uh, and there's a sequel being planned to come out That's um, just weird. at some point. Okay. So I have watched that movie. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of historical films. I do like Bruce Campbell. Me too. Right. I mean, he's just he seems like a nice, weird guy, but probably not someone you would actually meet in real life. <laughs> oh, I met him at the Comic Expo here in Ca oh, in Calgary. How'd that go? Great. He is very gracious, very nice. Then he goes up and does his like thing to the crowd. Like he does his presentation. And one of my favorite things, uh, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but they did have like a moderator up on stage and you could tell that Bruce was just getting kind of annoyed with him because he was asking like really bad questions. I, yeah. I like they were bad questions. And he's like, let's go to the crowd. Like, he just grabbed the microphone and stood up and like just started like <laughs> just pushed him out, pushed him out of the way. And he's like, and then he That's started good. just going to the crowd, walking around the stage, being charming, telling stories. And then he would like, you, you have a question. What's your question? It's like, Awful, bad question, but I'll answer it anyways. <laughs> and then he just, and he, he would still answer it and like tell this great story and like, let me tell you about my friend Sam. <laughs> he tell, tell like this story on like Evil yeah. Dead. And they, you know, these have been well rehearsed stories, but like he just knows where to like kneel people and like do pauses and stuff like that. Had the crowd in the palm of his hand for like 45 minutes straight. Yeah. Because he's not like, like, this is going downhill and I have to save this. So he just like took his like, he, he did it. He was he was the master at it. I, I, I don't know. After I watched Army of Darkness the first time, I really thought he would become a mainstream. I think that was the idea. But yeah. then Army of Darkness didn't do great at the box office. I no. think it just ruined it. It's, it's a good movie. In yeah. fact, I think I've told this story in the podcast already because I've been watching all the Sam Raimi films in conjunction with this other podcast I listened to. He actually had to tell Sam Raimi to stop casting him in things in the main uh, in the main role because like because like you're being too loyal to me, Sam, and you're ruining your career. You have to get other people to be in your movies. Mm. I'll come and do a cameo if you want, but I can't be the and lead he's actor. In every Sam Raimi movie, basically, basically, yeah. basically. Yeah. There's a couple he's not, but most of them he's he shows up yeah. for like a second. Even Oz the Great and Powerful, which is complete 
shit. It is an <laughs> awful, awful movie. Zero. Uh, what else do you want to talk about for the Beastmaster? Right, I don't think there's Beastmaster. much to really to like unpack here. No. I don't think the performances work. I think there's some elements that do hold up. This has probably contributed to my fear of quicksand that never became a thing in my adult life. Apparently quicksand doesn't work that way and no, it's it not doesn't. very quick. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's It just shouldn't. It just shouldn't. And I've always disappointed when movies like this find a quote-unquote cult audience and get to continue to exist when many other good films disappear by the wayside. If this this gives you bliss, then you should lean into it. I think if you do like hammy stuff like that, Xena and that sort of thing, I think there might be some fun that you're going to have in this. this. For me, I could only be in that world for so long before like, but can we have like something that's also good? At the same time. If they cut that last 15 minutes out with the, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Defending the wall of the city. Yeah, yeah. That whole section, just just cut that out. This movie actually would have been like maybe a point higher because at least you get a really stupid, but you get a climax with the really dumb Rip Torn character mm-hmm. with this dumb pyramid. And it's like a Monty Python sketch, you know, everybody's running up this fucking stair. This guy's taking five minutes to stab this woman in the chest and then it cuts back to him running up and then he's holding the knife and then he's running up and he's holding the knife, you know. (laughs) But at least when that's finished, it feels like they finished telling a story, not a particularly good one, but to then just be like, oh, now these weirdos are coming. We've got to defend the wall. And then it's like 10, 15 minutes of like... It's just an extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. I do think that the actors really do kill this for me. Like, I just could not get over... How bad everyone Like, there's... So, uh, I was going to bring this up because you you mentioned, like, not being able to really be able to choose between is this just bad or is this campy? Mm -hmm. For Mm -hmm. me, my difference is, and this is going to be hard to describe, but camp for me is like, yeah, you're, you're not necessarily bad. You're just, like, at 11. Like, you're doing, like... Mm. more than what needs to be in it like Thulsa Doom James Earl Jones's performance of Thulsa Doom for me is camp inside of that movie Mm -hmm. this movie is not camp it's just bad acting like that's the difference between the two of them one of them is like intentionally using excess uh, using excess to for some point in their performance where this is that they're just not up to the task of performing what they need to perform they are let down by the director they are let down by the script but someone there is an actor out there who could probably have taken this and be like okay i can set the right tone here in this dopey sword and sorcery movie you know like uh, omega man when you watch charlton heston having fun with a dumb movie then if you're into that yeah. then you can have fun with him i think mark We're just having what's, fun what's, here What's this guy, Mark Singer? The yeah. yeah. So the, the guys lead, whose name I can never remember. Apparently, the lead is uh, Beastmaster Darp Darg. Dar. Dar. Man, like some of those things, like when he's like making facial gestures at the yeah. tiger to manipulate this woman to having sex with him. Like the stuff is, it's just weird. It's so awful. It's just don't watch this movie. Yeah, just don't. But does have the Beast Vision? Which is kind of like Predator Vision. That's kind of neat. I like the concept of that. Like, yeah. Look, it's better than next. I, on, here's a, the thing. on a comic book level, if you can communicate with animals, that's fucking cool. Right? Everybody wants to do that. Uh, this is what I was thinking of. This is what, honestly what I was thinking of. There is a way that you could uh, remake this movie today and make it work. And who I would cast? John Cena. I think John Cena would make this work 100%. Mm. He's got yeah. the build, of course, uh, like the muscle. But yeah. he understands, like, He's this is what I need to be character. like. He's a cartoon character and he, he can lean into the comedy elements and then also be like dashing and heroic, heroic he if needs he needs to be. to be. 
Yeah. I mean, he's he's pretty thick. Yeah. He's also maybe too old for the role now, but still. Uh, you well, could I don't know. It. Beastmaster wasn't looking too young <laughs> true, either. But. True. I just want to, I, I, I don't know. Do you agree that this could be remade today? Yeah. I mean, uh, they're, like we we're talking about, there are little... There are little anchor points where mm -hmm. it actually could have been something. I think that's why yeah. it's even more disappointing because it'll pull you, it'll, like, it'll poke you a bit and you're like, oh, wait. Oh, and then it'll just yeah. barf on your face and you're like, I, don't, I can't. I do like that in my notes I have, why is he shirtless as a question yeah. mark? <laughs> well, he's a beast. Oh, and the fact that they do real explosions and like just obliterate that town. Yeah. It's like, oh what, my God, how much that? C4, like how much of this $9 million was for these C4 explosives that you packed into here? I didn't even understand why the moat was tar until they tried to light it on fire and everybody died trying to light this. Like you would think if your idea is to set a moat on fire, use a fucking bow and arrow yeah. instead of like running a little child with a torch. Well, Timmy, today you die for the cause. So <laughs> he survived fun. an arrow to the chest in two days. He was ruling the kingdom. Yeah. So that's good for him. Yeah. He worked that out. Tough little bugger. Here's my last question. In that quicksand scene, <laughs> do you think they actually killed a ferret? Because it does go underneath that mud. I don't know if they had like a capsule or something like that, but it's like in 1971 they killed many ferrets oh, to get that, that was, shot. This was in 71. But like, oh yeah, they killed that ferret 100. Yeah. And here they I'm like, they would have shown a corpse at the bottom. They would have been proud of it. Mm -hmm. There would have been a sign at the end. We did kill at least six ferrets. We actually killed seven You're ferrets welcome. making the scene. One when we weren't even filming. It's hard to tell because like that quicksand is not quicksand, so it's really hard to understand how like what they were doing with that animal. Um, mm -hmm. Like if it was just a layer say of plastic no. and they were able to pull it through or something into a chamber yeah, down below or exactly. I don't know. So, I'm going to say they didn't, but I'm also saying maybe the ferret wished that they had because he was probably miserable on the shoot of this One thing. of the lions did die during the making of this film because- Tigers? Uh, yeah. Because oh. one of the, they had multiple tigers. It's not just one tiger throughout the entire movie. You mean tigers' uh, fur color doesn't just randomly change Correct. around their face? Apparently, it was a- plant-based dye that they used okay. um but in order to paint a tiger you actually put it under like an under anesthesia and uh -huh. so it just didn't wake up one of the tigers did not wake worth up worth it totally worth it for the beast master <laughs> only one tiger was harmed during the making of this film we're done here the machine has said that we do have to wrap things up here we're going to go into a critic's choice here this is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time that this film was released except uh roger ebert and pauline kale both did not actually review this movie what so, wow which is shocking to me so i went to letterbox once again and i went to two different users one a positive one a negative and i'm going to go with the positive here first this is by user tears in rain <laughs> which i know you'll love dave Amazing. He gave it four stars. Wow. Yet another film I missed out on as a kid, which is a damn shame. I would have loved this shit in the heady days of my childhood. Probably would have watched it back to back with Conan the Barbarian hundreds of times. I already liked Coscarelli for his horror output, but somehow never realized he was behind this. This is probably one of the few sword and sorcery movies that can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Conan. Some what? critics even accuse it of being a knockoff, but this opened in theaters a mere three months after Conan which makes that a rather ludicrous claim. There are similarities, sure, but it's purely coincidental. What fascinates me, however, is how tonally all over the place this feels. Coscarelli wanted to keep this a PG rating so it could be seen, so it could be seen by younger audiences, which you can definitely see in the overall vibe of the film. And yet, 
he managed to sneak some stuff into this that feels more intended for an R-rated film. But hey, maybe Coscarelli just understood that that's exactly what 80s kids wanted. That's why there are so many cartoons and action figures that came out of R-rated franchises in the 80s. 84 people like that review, and that's why he rated it four stars. Just like this movie, that review doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here is a review by Fred. I like he it gave already. This, <laughs> he, gave it, he gave it two stars. It would all at least be watchable if we were only talking about the titular beasts and the inimitable Rip Torn, rest in peace. Heck, if it were even a little gay, it'd be at least worth championing as a campy oddity. But it's also boring and forgettable that it's best suited as a stylized sleep inducer. In that regard, it excels. I'm starting to doze off just thinking about it. 26 likes for that. Sorry, I yawned. Yeah, I know. So that's what critics are saying out there. I'm, I'm probably more with Fred than anything else, but uh, we will rate this film in just a moment. But before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? We do want to hear your feedback. So send that to Kyle and Dave VS the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And we also release two. No, we don't. We also release a video onto our YouTube channel when, you know, Dave gets around to it, eh. which is kind of a mini review of the film in video format. And if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings that we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, which is letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. If you do want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes to this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month, something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts dave what is your rating of a beastmaster going to be um you, you forget this question but it doesn't hold up it's not oh gosh I, relevant. it's in the document and i somehow i still go honestly over it. it's because it's not that relevant i agree it does not hold up i don't think it's culturally relevant we can move on uh, that is the question apparently we ask every week unless i forget to ask it like i did this time you know my gut instinct is a one but I'll give it a 1.5 just Ooh. because I did laugh, uh, you know, in spite of myself in the first half an hour. So that's something. So I'm kind of right there with you. Like I, I went back to Conan, right? I like Conan a lot more than you did. And I'm yeah. like, well, this is obviously not as good as Conan is. I gave no. Conan a 3.5. I don't think this even passes like the pass test. No. Uh, for of the two me. and a half for you. Yeah. But like... There were those elements that I did enjoy. I think that there's a shell here that could maybe work in better hands. Uh, I did like some of the production design, some of the ideas. I'm I'm ultimately giving it a two. I'm giving it a two out of five. Right. I think that's good. But it's like, am I going to see this again? Probably not. I hope not. Which is going to mean that it is going to go to a 1.75. We're going to round that down to a 1.5 when it goes onto our list. Dave, this ties with one other film. Which is Grease 2. Oh, So, wow. do you think this is better or worse than Grease 2? I'm going to put it below just because I, I love too. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, a thousand percent my reason. is like, at least Michelle Pfeiffer can act. So, at yeah. least there's something <laughs> I can grab onto in Grease 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And honestly, I would watch Grease 2 again. I know you wouldn't, but <laughs> I would watch Grease 2 again. And I'm never going to watch Beastmaster <laughs> no. ever again. No. I'm debating now whether I'll even admit that I've watched this. You say there's a beast master. <laughs> oh, I've never heard this of this before. This man runs up to us to us sunbathing on the beach and I'd be like, nah, never heard of it. I don't I don't I don't Move think along. I know that one. Yeah. Move along, pervert. That's exactly what I do when people talk about this podcast. All right. Well, entering our list in the very almost near the bottom of our list at the new number uh, twenty-two position 
is Beastmaster, right below Grease 2, and right above, yes, Giorgio. Wow. So, uh, I guess we should find out what we're watching here next week, Dave. I'm going to push this button. Oh, this is such a surprise. We're going to be talking about Jackie Chan next week, mm. Dave. Mm. We're going to be talking about Dragon Lord. I've never, I don't think I've seen it unless yeah, I, I, I know I it either. by a different name. Um, but it's Jackie Chan, so starting at a five. And uh, we'll see. I'm excited. I love all of his movies. I've been watching him, I think, I can't mm. remember what his first movie, Fearless Hyena or something. But I've seen him when he first started out and he's like a kid. Yeah. And then I grew up. With him and Sammo and you and I've heard he likes to do some of his own stunts, like a, <laughs> like a Tom Cruise type character. Tom Cruise has nothing on Jackie Chan. <laughs> uh, I know. It's like, it w- I like in that one Mission Impossible movie, it's like, did you know that Tom Cruise like, broke his ankle? I'm like, uh, Jackie Chan like broke his head open. Like, think, unco- he electrocuted himself and almost yeah, died. I think he's, there's, I can't remember what it, what I read, but has he broken every bone in his Something body? Like you watch like yeah. the behind the scenes of Police Story, oh, it's and insane. it's just like he's jumping like, di- out of directing the movie because he's like broken his arm. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. just do this, this, and this, and he jumps off a balcony while he's like <laughs> cradling his arm. Yeah, yeah, I think was it Rumble in the Bronx that they changed the ending because he broke his like ankle and his sh- something, so he couldn't yeah, fight. Shattered his ankle and like got a yeah. concussion. It's like, uh, Jackie, you can't keep jumping Where's off that? the buildings. And he's like, whatever, man, let me run up this chain link fence. That's still like my favorite <laughs> thing I've ever seen in a movie. I freaked out when I watched that in a home video. I'm like, what did he just do? Did you see that? No wires, complete control of his body. It's mm-hmm. just, have you seen Drunken Master? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Like when he does like a full bag and leaning on someone to drink his booze and then they yeah. run away and he's still holding that position. You shouldn't be able to do that, Kyle. You shouldn't be able to do that. Right. Okay. Save your, save your Jackie Chan talk until next week. And we'll also boy. talk about how he's sympathetic to the communist regime. So that'll be next week. Yeah, it's a little out of favor now. What do you think we should do with these notes? Should we like do a response to them or something? Do you think if we stick them all together, will it make a flip book? Oh, good idea. Let's try. Once again, kids ruin everything.